0: good morning um today's bible reading is from luke 2 verses 22 through to 40. it's called jesus presented in the temple when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of moses joseph and mary took him to jerusalem to present him to the lord as it is written in the law of the lord every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the lord and to offer a sacrifice The child's father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet Enna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old she'd lived with her husband 7 years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84 she never left the temple but worshiped night and day fasting and praying coming up to them at that very moment she gave thanks to the god she gave thanks to god and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of jerusalem when joseph and mary had done everything required by the law of the lord they returned to galilee to their own town of Nazareth and the child grew and became strong he was filled with wisdom and the grace of god was on him
1: thank you all right hello again now When I said a few weeks ago that I was going to be preaching on Mary, and on Elizabeth, and Anna, I'm fairly certain there were some of you going, Anna, how's she going to get a whole sermon on that? And I was one of them, but I thought I would give it a go anyway. Um, But I actually think we've got some good stuff here to work with. Uh, But I want to start with a story. Um, I have a little sister, I have a little brother as well, but he's not part of this story. Uh, I have a little sister and she is married, she's got a couple of kids, um, it's actually her daughter's birthday a week from tomorrow, she a birthday with Jesus, that's pretty special, but a few years ago, um, my now brother-in-law came to our family and he said, look, I want to ask Sarah to marry me, and we thought, yeah, okay, he's pretty all right, we like this guy, he's been around for a while and he organised a really amazing day for my sister, and I have to say, she's a bit obtuse. She did not. She did not figure out what was happening. This was a whole day event, finishing with a proposal at sunset, and she had no idea the whole day what was going on. He involved the whole family in this day. Um, He'd organised, I guess you will call it a scavenger hunt. driven her all around Sydney to all of these different parks that they had been to at different parts of their relationship. And it had finished at a park on a river, and she was blindfolded and the whole family was there. She took off her blindfold. It was very, very, very beautiful and romantic. And then we went from the park where the whole family, both sides of the family, all of their friends, a whole lot of us there went straight from the park. I need to stress the timeline. We went straight from the park to a restaurant that was less than five minutes away by car. So we packed up all the you know, candles and things from the, it was very elaborate, we packed everything up from the proposal and then we drove less than five minutes to a restaurant and as we arrived in the restaurant, my brother-in-law's sister, who had her phone in her hand, she went like this, Mum, have you already put it on Facebook? To which her mother replied, of course. (laughs) So at this point, her son and my sister have been engaged for maybe half an hour. We have not told grandma. Yes, grandma is on Facebook. We haven't called any aunties and uncles. My brother-in-law is from the Philippines. He had not called any family in the Philippines. This was not her announcement to make. Now I understand. I understand, because I was really excited, too. But I had not put it on Facebook <laughs> or any other social media. Because it's not my announcement to make, is it? It's my sister's announcement to make. And after she had made her announcement, and after she had called all the, all the right people and, and made sure people heard it from her first, and then put it on social media, then I was allowed to make that announcement to people who I knew, right? There's there's an order of things here. This is my news. I will share it first, and after I've shared it, you are welcome to tell other people, but don't steal my thunder. I actually think what we're seeing here uh, is is a little moment of someone stealing someone else's thunder, Uh, but I don't think it's quite as bad as announcing someone else's engagement on Facebook. Uh, it's a little more subtle than that, but I, I, I think you can see it in the text. But before we get to that, let's just catch up a bit. Last week, uh, actually we'll go two weeks ago, we started with Elizabeth. We heard how this elderly woman was going to have a baby. It's wild, but she did have a baby. And then we heard last week about how this young unmarried virgin was going to have a baby she also at this point in time has now had her baby we're not going to hear about anyone else having a baby today we're going to give it a rest with the babies we're going to talk about some grown-ups now so the timeline on this is we have this wonderful scenario here mary has had her baby and she's had a visit from the shepherds eight days after jesus was born he had to be circumcised according to jewish law and at the circumcision ceremony is when they announce the name of the baby. Big deal, all the friends and family, probably a nice lunch afterwards. I don't know how they did it back then, but we can imagine that this was quite a big deal. So Jesus is eight days old at his circumcision, and then at 40 days old, two important things happen. The first one happens to every woman every single time she has a baby, because when you have a baby under Jewish law, you are unclean right? Spiritually, ritually, for a certain amount of time. And so 40 days after you give birth, ladies, you have to go to the temple um, and you have to offer a sacrifice. Of course, you're unclean, so you're not allowed into the temple. So you, um, they, they would have had special ways for a, a family to contact a priest who would offer the sacrifice on their behalf so that the woman would be then clean and she could enter the temple again and participate in regular worship in regular Jewish life. The second thing is one that happens when there is a firstborn son, okay? This is not for every baby, this is for the firstborn son in the family. At 40 days old, he has to be consecrated to the Lord, presented in the temple. And so obviously, given these things have to happen on the same day, we're going to do them at the same time. We're not going to go to the temple twice in one day. So Mary has gone and had her her sacrifice offered. She's been cleansed. She comes into the temple with baby Jesus to present him, and that's where all of the events that we're going to talk about today happen. And then later, depending on who you talk to, a few weeks to a few months later, that's when this happens, okay? This is really disappointing for some people. The wise men were not at the manger. Um, A few... uh, A few weeks or potentially even a few months depending on who you talk to is when the the magi come and they tip off herod and they uh come and they see jesus and then herod decides to kill all the babies and then they have to run away to egypt for two years okay so in the timeline we're in between the manger and the magi that's where this is happening Okay, so we can imagine this is a pretty special baby, a pretty special day, sorry, for Mary and Joseph. They get to present their baby in the temple. They've probably seen other friends and family members do this and probably feeling really excited and special. And so they walk into the temple and they meet two important people. Now, with both of these people, What you just heard read out, thank you, Margaret, what you just heard read out today is every single thing we know about these people. We don't get them in Matthew or Mark or John. We don't hear about them anywhere else. This is everything we know. So at a quick glance, they get, like, what, a couple of sentences each? It's not a lot. But I'm going to start by introducing them because I think it's good to know the background of these people before we get into what happened because that's going to give us a little bit of information about why what happened is significant so the first person they meet is this guy called simeon what do we know about simeon he is a man who is described as righteous and devout and in a time when the holy spirit was not available to everyone because this is before pentecost so not everybody has the holy spirit only a select few receive the holy spirit at this time simeon has The Holy Spirit often in Old Testament times and pre-Pentecost times when people receive the Holy Spirit we're kind of told why or how and kind of makes sense you know they receive a Holy Spirit in a moment where they need it because God has prepared them for something but this seems like Simeon has had the Holy Spirit upon him for some time Um, that's a pretty big deal and he has been told by God already. I don't even need to finish that sentence, do I? That's already incredible. He has been told by God that he will not die until he sees the Messiah. What an honor. From that, I can tell that Simeon is very well respected, that he is probably very well respected, Liked. he's righteous he's devout he's all of these things that we value in this culture and today he has been led by the spirit to go to the temple now i don't know about you sometimes i felt nudges from the holy spirit at different points in my life uh i usually don't know why or what's going to happen you know the holy spirit might say go over here talk to that person do this and and it's just kind of a sense for me at least it's just a sense that oh i have to go to this place today or i have to i have to talk to this person today i don't usually get from the holy spirit go to this person talk to them and then they will ask you to pray for them and then this is what's going to happen i just get the little nudge go and talk to them so i wonder whether simeon went to the temple thinking this is it today's the day or if he was absolutely clueless he just went oh, i've got to go to the temple today Either way, his life dream, the thing that God has promised him, is happening today. And then, of course, the other person we meet is this woman, Anna. What do we know about Anna? We know that she's old. We know she's a widow. Tells us that she lived with her husband for seven years before he died. Now because I work better with kind of concrete information, women got married between kind of 12 and 16-ish back in those days. Let's say she was kind of smack bang in the middle of that age range. Let's say she got married at 14. Obviously, we don't know that. This is a guess. So then she would have been 21. If she got married at 14, she would have been 21 when her husband died. And she has been a widow ever since. This is pretty unusual. If a woman died, her... Sorry... I'm going to start that again, that's all wrong. If a man died, his younger brother would then marry his wife. So she's probably been married to a man who didn't have any younger siblings. Uh, We're not told about children. She may or may not have had any. If she has, they're probably all grown up at this point, if they're still alive. The NIV says she was a widow until she was 84. Other translations put that a bit differently. This is a very weird phrase in the Greek and people are very divided over what it means. It could mean one of two things. Either it means that she lived seven years with her husband and then he died and now she's 84 and she's been a widow for that whole time. Or it could mean that she lived seven years with her husband and then he died and then she was a widow for 84 years. So she's either 84 or she's probably a bit over 100 if the maths works out, okay? Either way, she's an elderly woman and she has been a widow for an awfully long time. Remember women didn't earn their own money. Remember there was no Centrelink, no social services. So she is a woman who has been reliant on the charity of others for a very long time. Now my suspicion, and I'll get to why I think that in a little bit, my suspicion is that after her husband died, she's gone back to her father's house meaning that she was a drain on his resources for an awfully long time. And I can imagine that in that culture, if you went back to your father's house after your husband has died, your father is thinking, I've got to get this woman married off real quick. And she's older now. You know, if, if, if my guess earlier was right, she's, she's 21, she's way too old. No one's gonna want this old woman to marry, but I've got to get rid of her. I can imagine that she probably felt a little bit unwelcome in her younger years because of her status as a widow. And she's also described in two really, really interesting ways. There are two things in this passage that immediately made me go, huh, that's weird. The first one is she is given a title. It says she's a prophet. We don't hear a lot about very many female prophets. We hear about women who prophesy. There are women, in fact, Mary and Elizabeth both prophesied, didn't they, in the last two messages. Uh, We we do hear about some women who, who prophesy, but they're not all given the title of prophet. And so this title, it says something about Anna. It says something about who she is and how she has lived, doesn't it? It says she was a prophet and she was constantly in the temple, day and night, praying and worshipping and fasting. Um, And again, that could mean that she lived full-time permanently in the temple or it could mean that she just was always going there, just constantly. We don't know. But either way, it seems that she has devoted her life to the Lord and it seems that she has spent the vast majority of her years in the house of the Lord doing some kind of ministry Pretty much full-time now really the only people who did ministry in the temple were the priests and the priests were men and so this is very unusual we don't often get to see a woman in full-time ministry in the temple and so this is a woman who is singular she's unusual she's probably you know, everybody around town is probably aware of her. Oh, you know, Anna, that lady, in the, you know, the one in the temple? Yeah, Anna, right? Everybody knows who she is. Maybe they think she's a bit of a weirdo, right? Women don't do that sort of stuff, come on. But she's there. And the second thing that raised some questions for me is that we are told, um, actually, I might read it. Um, we are told... Here we go Anna the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. There's two unusual things in that. Cuz there's not a whole lot of people in the New Testament whose tribe we're told about. There's a few not many sort of becomes a bit unimportant after that. You know, after the gospel is for everyone from all the nations, we start being a little bit less worried about whether you're from David or Asher, you know? But we're told this, and we're told she is—we're told she is the daughter of. So she's she's connected with her father, and not with her husband. Now that's weird, right? When you marry, you belong to your husband. Now you don't belong to your father anymore. <laughs> Settle down, Peter. <laughs> My goodness, um, and so. She should be, even though her husband is dead, she should be listed with her husband under his tribe. And yet we're told that she's under her father's tribe. We're told that she's from the tribe of Asher. So that's why I think she went back to her father's house after she was widowed. Because she's listed here under his tribe. And it seems weird to do that unless she went back to his household um, but again, that's just my thinking. There's there's nothing in scripture that confirms that 100%. Um, the other thing is, does anyone know, just a little bit of trivia here, does anyone know where the tribe of Asher had their land? No? It was way, way, way up in the north. Way up in the north. And so you might remember in the Old Testament when there's some... Trouble. There's always trouble in the Old Testament, isn't there? There's some trouble and Israel splits in half and you've got um, the Southern Kingdom and the Northern Kingdom and the Northern Kingdom has a series of really bad kings over and over again and the Southern Kingdom has a series of bad kings with every now and then they kinda get a good one in there, right? And the Northern Kingdom is just constantly being attacked. Right, they're taken over by Babylon, they're taken over by Assyria, they're just constantly at war, it feels like in the Old Testament. And so she's from the tribe of Asher, which is way up in the northern part of the North Kingdom. There's nothing north of them in Israel. And here's where things get really interesting. You might remember in the Old Testament that the Northern Kingdom were conquered by Assyria. This happened in the 8th century BC, and Asher and the other northern tribes were kind of carried off, and we never hear from them again. We actually don't really know what happened to them after that. Did they stay there? Did they come back? Did they conquer? Assyria? I feel like if they conquered Assyria and returned home victorious we might have heard about it. We don't know what happened to them. Some historians actually call these the lost tribes of Israel because they just kind of disappear. There is, um, we'll call it tradition, that tradition tells us that A remnant from these tribes did come back to their ancestral lands in the northern kingdom. But I want to stress that this is tradition and not historical evidence. That's not to say that it's wrong, but it's to say that we we just don't know. So the fact that Anna, a woman from the tribe of Asher, is anywhere in Israel, is pretty unlikely, but she's there. That's pretty impressive. The fact that she's made it all the way down to the southern kingdom. Okay, I'm starting to get a bit confused, but right. She's in the temple. She has a faith in God. She's not off being a Syrian. This shows me that the fact that she is here is an act of God god has prepared her to be here god has prepared her for this moment how else could she be here so we actually know quite a lot actually about anna from those couple of verses that she gets there i really love when you start digging into scripture and all of a sudden all of these things come out that you're like wow that was two sentences and i have no idea how that much information was crammed in there." But we get a fair bit, and I think we can imagine what her life must have been like. Pretty hard, pretty lonely at times, but filled with worship and ministry for the Lord. So we've got Simeon, we've got Anna, both of them are in the temple on the same day, and both of them are among the first people ever to meet the Messiah. We've had a couple of shepherds meet them. There have probably been some family members at the birth, obviously, and then also at the um, circumcision. But these are really, other than the shepherds, these are the first people we're told about. These are the first people who make it into Scripture, who meet Jesus after after the shepherds, which is a pretty big deal, I think. So Mary and Joseph, they come into the temple. They've got their bundle of joy. Mary's probably fresh from her purification sacrifice. And very quickly when they arrive, they meet this guy, Simeon. And he comes up to them and he kind of gently takes the baby in his arms. And he has this really beautiful, intimate moment with God where he basically says, Thank you, God, for keeping your promise to me. How incredible that I get to be here and and meet this person. It's really private and you know I don't think this is something that people would have overheard. It seems from Scripture like probably only Mary and Joseph really were hearing this conversation. And then he turns to Mary and he kind of briefly has a couple of things to say to her and then just as that moment is happening Anna appears and she starts loudly giving thanks to God and speaking about Jesus and how he's the Messiah to everyone who is around. I would say this is the first sermon preached in a church about the Messiah. Right? Now of course there were prophecies about the coming messiah i don't want to detract from those those are really important those are part of how we know that jesus is the legitimate messiah is because of all of these old testament prophecies but after jesus is born this is the first message right this is a big deal and we see this contrast luke does this really beautifully he does this in quite a few passages um we saw it really clearly with elizabeth and zechariah i don't know if you remember zechariah is he's like super qualified he's a priest he's been a priest forever because he's pretty old now and he's been working as a priest since he was really young and so he is super qualified he is in the right position he's a priest so he can get up in the temple and he can say stuff and people will listen right so he's in the right place right time he's got all the qualifications and he is mute and instead his old shamed infertile wife is the one who gets to make the announcement that their baby is the one who will announce the coming of the messiah right and as you read that story there's all these expectations yes zechariah yes he's in the he's got this honor at the temple oh he's doing great things hang on a second he's mute that's not right and and i think we see this happening here too Right? We've got Simeon, he's righteous, he's devout, he has the Holy Spirit, he's in the temple, he's holding the baby. Any second now, a woman is going to make the announcement. That's unexpected. And I think, again, we're seeing some really clear moments of reversal. Right? Simeon is described so positively and the way that anna is described we learn a lot from that but there's a lot of things in there that probably were seen as shameful she'd been a widow for so long and she'd never remarried oh, what's wrong with her she's from the tribe of asher oh they're basically all dead aren't they right she's prophesying and doing ministry in the temple oh, i don't think so and so even though we might look at anna and go wow what a woman i'm sure there were a lot of people in her time going oh what a woman and so this is really unexpected i know that she's given the title of prophet and i actually do think she would have been respected by many but we all know that when a person is really well liked and and really well respected there's always someone who doesn't like what they're doing and I think she probably would have experienced that as well. And so again, the second that Jesus arrives in their lives, their roles are reversed. And Simeon gets the job of holding the baby and quietly speaking to mom and dad, while Anna gets the job of making this public announcement in the temple about what is going to happen and prophesying about the life of the Messiah. And I do have to wonder whether Simeon ever had that internal moment of, oh, she really just stole my thunder. Right? No, I'm not sure that he did. I think he would have been pretty happy to meet the Messiah. Um, What does he say? Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. Right? He sounds pretty satisfied. He's like, okay, God, I can die in peace now. But I wonder if other people thought, hmm, she kind of saw his thunder there. Maybe Simeon should have been the one to announce that. Isn't it interesting that the second Jesus arrives in their lives, it's flipped. The upside-down kingdom has arrived. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. And that's not to say that there's anything wrong with Simeon because there's really not. He is righteous, he's devout, he's got the Holy Spirit, he's doing what the Lord has called him to do. But isn't Anna doing just the same thing? Now, if there's something that you can take away from this series, it's that you're never too old, you're never too young, you're never too weak or too unimportant to be chosen by God for important things. Right? Elizabeth, Mary, Anna, not the people who humans would have chosen at that time to do these important tasks. But God still chose them. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 and 28 tells us that God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things to shame the strong and he chose the lowly and despised things or the things that are not, it says, to shame and to abolish the things that are. And I think sometimes... I read that passage and I go, Yes, yes, look at the work that God is doing. Sometimes I read that passage and I go, Which one of those things am I? Am I the weak and foolish? Or am I the wise and the strong? Because I look around this room and I don't see too unimportant, too poor to, uh, what are we, uh, lowly and despised. I did not see that from anyone here. kind of see the opposite. Because even the poorest person in this room, and I don't know who that is, <laughs> but even the least wealthy, least privileged person in this room today is incredibly wealthy and incredibly privileged when you look at the rest of the world. We live in safety. We live in houses or apartments, but we have roofs over our heads. And if we don't have roofs over our heads, it's because we've chosen to, right? We've chosen to live in a van or travel permanently or, you know, we have the freedom to make that choice. I bet most of us are going to have food today. And I reckon, I could do a tour of all of your houses and I would find a tap that's got running water. I look around and I see power, I see privilege, I see wealth. And then I remember the words of Jesus when he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of God. And I think, yikes, I think I might be in the wrong spot. And I hope a lot of us are sitting here going, ooh, I think I might be in the wrong spot. Now, I don't think the kingdom of heaven has rules against rich people. I'm fairly confident, in fact, I'm very confident that Jesus loves all of us and that all of us are and or can be saved. However, the question is, what are we going to do with that? We live in a world that is governed by money. If you have money, you're set. If you have no money, you're in a world of trouble. Right? That's what capitalism is, and we live in capitalist society. Are we gonna be distracted by that? Or are we gonna be using what God has blessed us with to further the kingdom, even if it's to our own detriment? Now that makes me very uncomfortable. It probably makes a few of you also very uncomfortable. Good, we should lean into that. I don't think Jesus calls us to be comfortable but he does call us to be generous and he does talk a lot about the lowly and despised and how we should treat them. And so as I think about the words that I want to leave you with it's it's a challenge I see in this room so much love and generosity and friendship I know you are all beautiful wonderful kind loving people and I want to challenge you to take all of that love that you have shown me and to take it out and to show those people who you kind of go When they walk past you. Because those people need Jesus. And Jesus loves and values those people. And we see him using those people in Anna, in Mary, and in Elizabeth, and throughout Scripture. We do also see him using the powerful. Look at Paul. Look at the list of accomplishments that he has to his name hes from the right tribe he was a pharisee all of those things but he went through a pretty radical and a pretty uncomfortable transformation first so let's be like paul let's be like anna and mary and elizabeth and do whatever it is that god calls us into without fear or without anxiety about it shouldn't be me or it, it should, i'm not qualified or it should be someone else or why would God choose me? Let's accept that God has chosen us and do those things and let's empower other people, particularly those people who we think are maybe a bit icky, to go and do the same. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we are here today because we love you and we know that you love us. You see each one of us and you love us. And Lord, I know that you also see what we could be and and what you want us to be and i just ask that you would help us to do that lord i ask that you would give us just incredible generosity And Lord, all that grace and kindness and love that you help us to show to each other, I ask that you would help us to turn that outward and show it to the people in the community, to to the, the lowly and despised, to the weak and the foolish, Lord. Help us to fill this church with those people. And Lord, I really just want to thank you for Anna and for the incredible thing that you chose her and you empowered her to do, and for Simeon and and for what he was chosen for as well. And Lord, I want to thank you for the example that they are to us of the the unexpected, upside-down nature of your kingdom, a kingdom where the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And Lord, I ask that you would help us all to put forward those who others would deem to be the least and the last. Amen.